0: Good morning, third period. This is the A-team coming at you with some test prep for chapter 17. Alright, counting down the top nine
1: highlights of the transition into the Gilded period and industrial supremacy. Starting with number nine, the increase in industrial technology. As iron production began to soar in the 1870s and 1880s, new methods for development were discovered. Iron masters such as Henry Bessemer, William Kenny, and Abraham Hewitt developed numerous techniques used to strengthen iron into steel, and soon after, steel industries blossomed across the East Coast, setting around Pennsylvania, and in areas concentrated with minerals and ore. This newfound commodity aided the expansion of railroads and provided materials for locomotives and architecture. Additionally, the increasing steel production also brought forth the rise of the petroleum industry, which aided in the fueling and lubrication of steam engines and machinery.
2: And coming in at number eight, the development and expansion of transportation. In the late nineteenth century, total railroad trackage increased drastically. Because these extensive railroads required large capital that private entrepreneurs could not come up with, they were funded by federal, state, and local governments. With the drastic spread of these new railroads, agricultural and industrial companies followed in their wake. When railroads were laid in rural areas, new farms and other economical activity were soon to follow. Likewise, When they were laid through forests lumber industries quickly followed
1: and at number seven the growing corporations companies and complications as industrial corporations rose in numbers across the country investors and entrepreneurs found a foothold with the growing industries new forms of administrative hierarchy were developed in order to balance the responsibilities of the company this newfound effectiveness made consolation between multiple firms of the same corporation possible Companies such as the Rockefeller Standard Oil Company applied horizontal and vertical integration to expand their franchise to compete with other companies that they later bought out. These were centered in Ohio, Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, New York City, and Baltimore. With the increasing of investors, the trust agreement was formed. This agreement allowed stockholders to transfer their stocks to small groups of trustees in exchange for shares in the trust itself. Owners of the trust certificate often had no direct control over the decisions in the trustees they simply received a share of the profit of the combination. In contrast, the trustees could own only a few companies but exercised control over many more. However, this was made unnecessary in 1889 when the state of New Jersey, and many followed later, changed laws so that companies could buy out other companies. This caused debate over whether the expansion of industrial manufacturing was in fact beneficial to America. Regardless of this debate, industrial development was effective in boosting the economy into a period known as the Gilded Period, as it integrated operations, cutting costs, developed industrial infrastructure, created employment opportunities, and promoted mass-scale production. The rapid development of new
3: industrial technologies encouraged business leaders to sponsor their own research to allow them to keep up with the rapid changes in industry. Research and development laboratories coincided with a decline in government support for research. A rift began to emerge between scientists and engineers. Engineers both inside and out of universities became increasingly tied up with the research and development agendas of corporations and worked hard to be practical use to the new economy. That helped corporations to attract skilled researchers who had once worked for government agendas. American universities in the late 19th and early 20th centuries developed a growing connection between university-based research and the needs of industrial economy. University facilities and laboratories began to receive funding from corporations for research and the needs of industrial economy.
1: Number five, the growing debate on capitalism. Before the Civil War, there were only a few millionaires in America. The most common rationale for modern capitalism rested squarely on the older ideology of individualism. The new industrial economy provided every individual with the chance to succeed and attain great wealth. By 1892, there were 4,000 millionaires, and although all claimed to be self made, only very few were. Most of the new business tycoons had begun their careers from positions of wealth and privilege, and there was not always rise to power and prominence from simply hard work as they liked to claim. It was a result of ruthlessness, arrogance, and rampant corruption at times.
0: Hey guys, this is Lexi coming at you with number four, the decline in wages and working conditions for industrial employees. I know, very exciting. So, the average wage for workers rose after the Civil War, but for laborers, the pay they got back for their intense labor was pretty insufficient. Along with not getting paid well, they didn't have very good job security. Their job depended on perfection, which they performed in the factory, which was usually unrealistic. The conditions that laborers worked under quickly spun out of control, leading to long hours, exhausting work, and low wages. And bouncing right off of that is number three the heightened inequality for minority groups. As time went on and factories developed their efficiency, they began hiring less skilled women, immigrants, and children who they could hire for lower wages than men. Women industrial workers were overwhelmingly white and under 25 years old. Most women worked in machine labor. They worked for wages as low as six to eight dollars a week. Men's average annual wage was $597, and for women, it was $314. Talk about inequality. The working conditions that children worked in were dangerous and exhausting. The age standard for child laborers was often ignored by employers.
1: Number two, the people struggled to unionize against the insufficient working conditions and inequality. The National Labor Union was the first attempt to federally separate unions into a single national organization. In 1866, William H. Silvis founded a polygot association of 640,000 members, including a variety of reforms groups that had little direct relationship with labor. After the Panic of 1873, it disappeared.
2: And coming in at number one, the rapid increase of strikes and riots in response to poor authority figures in the workforce. For example, the workers in the Amalgamated Association of Iron and Steel Workers once had a 56-page legislation stating the workers' rights, but by 1890, Henry Clay Frick, head of the Homestead Plant in Pittsburgh, decided the legislation had to go. Over the next two years, the company had several wage cuts. Finally, in 1892, the workers refused to accept the wage cut, and Henry Frick abruptly shut down the plant and called in the Pinkerton Detective Agency, who would hire non-union workers in the previous workers' place. But when the agency arrived by river on barges, the strikers poured oil into the river and set it on fire while also shooting guns and throwing dynamite at guards near the docking ports. After killing three from the agency and ten strikers, the agency left the docks. Although the strike was successful, the victory was short-lived. The governor of Pennsylvania sent in the state's entire National Guard and in no time production resumed. Another instance where strikers fought for their fair wages was during the Great Railroad Strike of 1877. As a result of a 10% wage cut, railroad workers went on strike, disrupted rail service from Baltimore to St. Louis, destroyed equipment, and rioted in the streets. State militias were called in to control the crowds, and by the end of the strike, more than 100 people died. Another strike in 1894 was led by the workers of the Pullman Car Company. This strike was due to wage cuts of 25% and their refusal to offer cheaper rent for workers. Pullman Car Company even convinced the American Railway Union to refuse handling Pullman cars and equipment. Ultimately, the strike collapsed after Debs and his associates were arrested and and imprisoned. Overall, all of these strikes were unsuccessful due to federal authority, but they were successful in raising awareness for workers' rights.